Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, we're talking about causality. And you said something pretty interesting, that in this digital world that we live in, where people have zero attention spans, everyone's looking for the simple answer. So no one wants to understand what actually causes something. What causes the pandemic? What causes the war in Ukraine? What causes problems socially with different socioeconomic groups? People just want to jump to a conclusion, get something that they can digest in a soundbite, and then move on. So for example, if we look at affirmative action, you were bringing up an example of how certain people are upset because of affirmative action. And the idea is, well, this is denying access to the best person, the best student. And yeah, it's a very simple story that we can hold on to, but then you have to ask, what does it mean to be the best? And what is the legacy that certain people have been subject to? So if you've been disadvantaged uh, for generations, and then maybe it's harder for you to compete. And I like the way that you put it, Z. It's kind of like running a race with a backpack full of rocks. So yeah, you may not come in first place, but you're, of course, putting in more effort than the winners, and you need some sort of fair comparison. And if you don't have that fair comparison, maybe you have some policy to say that, okay, these people with the rocks on their backs, we're going to give them a medal. We're going to give them an extra award. And you see this across the board. So of course, you see it in social issues. Uh, You see it in this whole global conflict that we've entered into, where on the one hand, you've got the Western interests talking about the war in Ukraine and talking about sovereignty and territorial integrity and how dare another country invade uh, Ukraine. It's just barbaric. And then you've got the other side, which is saying, well, hold on, let's look at the bigger picture and the context. And actually, NATO has been expanding eastward for a long period of time. That's been a threat. So, of course, you should expect that Russia is not going to feel comfortable. And I'm not here to say who's right or wrong. I'm just here to say that a lot of times there's more to the story than the simple explanation. And I think relationships is maybe one of the more interesting places where this idea of causality becomes very important. I've seen this in my own family, where if I can understand how things happen. So if I look at my family and my my people, my kids, my wife, my friends, as a system, I sort of know when things are going to happen, when things are going to go wrong, and I can adjust and I can correct. Uh, so for example, one thing I've learned about my wife over long periods of time is that when she feels stressed, she acts out, she lashes out. And early on, when I didn't know her that well, I found that crazy. I was like, what are you getting so upset about? And I I questioned myself sometimes. I was like, why do I want to be with this person who's lashing out, who's just acting like a lunatic? And then over time, when I became a little more observant, I realized it's not her baseline personality, but when she feels stressed and she feels threatened, that's when she starts lashing out. So let me do things to mitigate that stress. Or if she's already stressed, maybe I can calm her down and that'll lead to a different outcome. I see the same thing with my kids. Uh, I kind of know okay, if they're not sleeping, if they're watching too much TV, they're overstimulated, then they're going to be cranky and they're not going to be productive. And if they've been just sitting around all day and they're fighting, I got to take them outside for a while, let them burn off some energy. So I think the more that we can understand cause and effect across personal relationships, across social dynamics, really any situation that we're looking at, the better prepared we are. 
And I would say we're better prepared for two reasons. Number one is because we can get the outcomes that we want. So we know how to correct and make adjustments so that we end up in a better place. But two, we're not surprised by anything. And we can actually be much more compassionate. So if we know that something isn't personal, if someone's attacking us because they had a bad day and not because they're just a dick and they like tearing a new one into random people that they meet, then we might say, okay, we can be a little more sympathetic, a little more understanding. That lowers our blood pressure. That's better for our health. Uh, there was a book I read years ago, Z, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there was an anecdote in there on this point, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, the author was saying that he was on a subway. And in the subway, there was a family. It was actually a father and a few of his kids. And the kids were just running around and they were screaming and they were running into people. And the father wasn't doing anything. And everyone on the train was getting more and more upset. And this author said that finally he stepped up and he felt like, I got to do something. So he goes to the dad and he says, pretty politely, maybe a little bit firmly, but still politely, you know, you might want to do something about your kids because they're running all over the place. And the response from this father was, yeah, you know what? We just got back from the hospital and their mother just died. And they don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to deal with it. So I'm not really sure what to do. And then that completely changed the author's perspective on the situation. So he went from being annoyed to being compassionate. I forget what the resolution was, if he was able to interact with this person or not. But his entire outlook on the situation changed because he understood that cause and effect. So I think it's uh, good for social dynamics. It's good for our own health if we can understand how these systems work. But as you say, Z, there's a real aversion to this. And I don't know how much of this aversion is that we've become intellectually lazy or we have no attention span. We're in this world of sound bites. So we're just looking for that quick answer. But talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, why do you think people are so averse to, to understanding the bigger picture? I mean, what, what is the tendency or why do we have this tendency to just look for that simplest solution? I think looking for efficiency, um, that is a, 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 it is part of the physics of the way our mind works. It takes less energy to read a paragraph than it does to read an encyclopedia. It's really that simple. It takes less energy to read a paragraph than it does a sentence, or, 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 or I should say a page. It takes less energy to have a sentence than it does a paragraph. So it's real basic physics and line of energy. <clears throat> but you get what you invest in. So the more that you read, you go from a sentence, you get something, information out of that, you get a paragraph, you read the page, you read the chapter, you read the book, you read the volumes of books that make up the encyclopedia, you read the uh, notes on it, and so forth, and then you have a better understanding. It's not unlike if you get some device at home that has instructions. You get your IKEA furniture home, and you open up the box, you open up the instruction, it'll say, stop, don't do anything until you've read page two. Of course, you throw that away and you go down to page six and just see what the thing looks like and start slapping it together. You get it together, you sit down on it, it falls apart, there's 10 extra pieces left over that seem like they weren't significant. And now you're in bad shape. Now you have to go back and see, okay, what caused the breakdown? What causes it to be stable? So there's a story, there is a pathway. There is a methodology in which you use to put everything together, which may not be expedient 
to the thought process, but it's thorough in terms of the overall function of the device and the end result of your task. <clears throat> we as people want things to be easy. And easy is not always bad, but it definitely isn't always good. An article came out today, um, and, and I've been kind of share articles with Caitlin and stuff as we're putting together Dharma Media and, and talking about health topics. They talked about the high um, amount of colorectal cancer that is showing up in young people. Really, really large number of people with colorectal cancer. Now you're meeting more and more people that know somebody with colorectal cancer, which is something you rarely ever encountered, let alone meet somebody with colorectal cancer. Well, what is it all about? What are they finding in, the, in, the re, in these reports? Well, a lot of undigested and foreign matter in the colon and the intestine. Well, what is undigested and foreign matter? Why is it all of a sudden so much that large swaths of the population are suffering from something that used to be a somewhat of an oddball disease? Well, everybody is uh, munching down flaming hot Doritos and washing them down with Pepsi and Coke. Uh, the junk food, the overprocessed foods, the forever chemicals, the microplastics, the heavy minerals, um, the lack of clean water. And that's the causality, but it's just too long of a story. Because we have to talk about the story of water. We have to story about, talk about the story of food, the source of food. We have to talk about the choices people make, the economics of the fast food industry the economics of consumers, that's too much. But if we do talk about it, we have more options to avoid colorectal cancer. Really that simple. Yet, the nature of things is the short answer. The easy sound bite. The news media has succumbed to that years ago. There's no real news stories. I recall, let's say back in the 60s, when you watch the news, it was, the news was very boring in a sense. It gave you information. When it came to politics, it would give you both sides or opinions of politicians. It would give you two sides. They said this and these said that. They don't do that. Now you have each outlet of the media is biased towards a particular political affiliation. So you only get certain stories, and they're thrown at you so fast, there's no real chance to, or opportunity to fact check them, or to reference them, or even to query the person giving you the information. And so we've been conditioned to fast thoughts, fast foods, fast concessions, fast answers, fast, 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 low volume, low intensity. And that's what we get. And when it came down to <clears throat> Kofifi, as we were talking earlier, is that much of the hardships of Kofifi were based on simple things that nobody really asked. Are there ways to prevent it? Are there people who are more likely to get it? Those were never discussed because that's too hard. It requires too much uh, footwork to navigate around the landmines and pitfalls of human interaction. 
now we can't, it, 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 we're even trying to get even more efficient in our words and speech, even shorten it even more because now we have new issues that come up with uh, offensiveness. It's easy. You have to think about before you say anything, will I offend? So you're going to shorten the story so you won't offend. Um, will somebody get upset? So now you got to shorten the story so nobody gets upset. What about if they get triggered? That's another word. They use. Well, now you got to adjust your story so nobody gets triggered. So by the time you've edited the information, there's really no useful information. Right? There was a story about somebody who was looking for direction and got stranded in the snow because um, they needed to go down Indian Head Highway. I don't know where Indian Head Highway is, what state, what city, but there's a place called Indian Head Highway. And the person was very offended at the name of it, and they just wanted them to say highway. So they ended up not getting directions and got stranded in a blizzard. It's just, I mean, this is how crazy it's gotten. That the packaging, the wrapping of a story or content is more important than the content itself. So now when we go back and we explore causality, it's going to require a very unique type of person to understand, decipher, and unravel causality. With the code Fifi and all of its infinite variations, what are things that I could do to avoid being susceptible to this disease less than wrapping myself up in bubble wrap and sealing myself in a house? Well, how about not having pre-existing conditions? Make yourself whole and hearty and do that. Well, what does that mean, whole and hearty? You got to be lean and strong. You got to be healthy. You have to have a good body mass index. You got to eat right. You got to source your food. So this is why then people have issues with facing and understanding and relating to causality and why people often would rather deny and simply throw a Hail Mary in life. Because we, we don't want to think about how things came to be. How did things come to be? In order to do that, you, you, you would have to change your um, appetite for knowledge. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, what you're saying has brought up a few interesting ideas. So number one is the packaging. And we talked, or you initially talked about how we've got this drive for efficiency. So we want things in the simplest format possible. So that's part of it. I think that's always been around for a long time. The other issue that you also touched on is certain things are offensive. So not only are we looking for simple solutions, but things that we don't want to hear, even if they are simple, we cut them out because they're called Indian head instead of head or whatever. And they're all sorts of topics and terms and explanations that are off limits that we're going to filter because we just don't want to hear them. And that we've gotten into the state where if we find something offensive as a society, we tend to withdraw from that. Instead of engaging, instead of discovering, we tend to withdraw, we shut it out. So you put those two things together and it really limits the amount of information that you can consume. 
not only does it have to be simple, which means by definition that you're going to miss a lot of the nuance, but it's got to be packaged and framed in the right way. It's got to contain opinions that you find acceptable. And so that really means that you're not ingesting anything intelligent. I mean, you might, you know, it could be just by chance that the information that you take in happens to be correct and happens to help you, but chances are it's not going to be because you've constrained this problem to such an extent, you're only willing to search such a narrow part of the overall universe that you're not going to find something that's helpful. So that's uh, observation number one. I think the more information we can ingest, the more of these constraints that we can relax, the more comfortable we are with conflicting ideas. Uh, because uh, part of it is efficiency, uh, excuse me, efficiency. Uh, but the other part is just that we're uncomfortable having partial explanations or conflicting explanations. Or as we were talking about earlier, Z, saying there's certain things that I just don't understand. Or there's certain things that I'm not going to have a point of view on because I don't have enough information that makes us feel uncomfortable. And maybe it's a form of insecurity, as we talked about, or a need for control. So we'd much rather have an answer that we can anchor to. And that means that we're going to miss out on a lot of truth and a lot of explanations that might be able to help us. Uh, so that's one thing that comes to mind. The other, which I think is interesting, is if we, let's say that we really care about efficiency and that's our ultimate goal, I think we have to distinguish between short-term and long-term. And you touched on this as well because you mentioned investment. I think that's a good word. If we're always looking for the simple solution, Maybe it doesn't cost us anything in the moment to take that simple solution, but over the long term, it means that we're not fixing the actual problem. You guys uh, on the, when I say you guys, I mean all of us, but day to day, it's you and Caitlin on the Dharma side. Uh, I think Caitlin must have put out this reel that I saw the other day on Instagram, uh, where Z, you were talking about showing up. Uh, so you said something like, people always ask me, how do I get in shape? How do I improve my diet? How do I get my life back under control? And your advice was, I always tell people, you got to show up. Make sure you show up. And I almost put a comment in there saying, can't you sell me a pill? <laughs> right? Or is there like some medication I can take for showing up? Because no one wants to do that. It's too hard. So we just want that simple solution. So yeah, you get the simple solution and you feel good. And you're like, okay, cool. I've got this under control. But then nothing really changes. And in fact, your health goes in the wrong direction. And you die some horrible death. Or do you think about a family situation and you've got kids and the kids aren't responding to what you're saying. So you just start yelling at the kids. Uh, it's like, I'm going to force them to listen to me. I'm going to force them in the line. And so you start just shouting at them, sit down, do your homework, do your homework, but you're not dealing with the underlying issue. And I found this with my oldest. Uh, she's got some issues around anxiety and if she's in the wrong mood, so if, if she's in this anxious, panicky mode, it doesn't matter what we say. Like, we can say anything. We can do anything. We can force her to sit down. She's not going to be able to concentrate. She's not going to be productive. I mean, she could spend three hours, and it would be a waste of three hours. So my whole thing for her, after observing this dynamic for a while, is to get her to a point where she's in a calm state of mind. That, to me, is actually much more important than her doing the work, because I know she can do the work. I know that if she's calm, she's bright enough, she's creative enough, she can figure it out. And I've seen this over and over, where... She might complain about something for 20 minutes or throw a fit and say, oh, my God, this is so hard. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. But then when she actually sits down to do it and gets out of that state of mind, she'll do the problem in 15 seconds. I mean, it'll be trivial. It's like the answer will just come to her right away. So my whole thing is to make sure, and it's funny, she just stepped into the room, so she's listening to what I'm saying. 
and she's giving me this really mean face. She got back from Taekwondo. She might punch me somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be all right and can continue this podcast. Uh, but anyway, it's another example of understanding the underlying conditions. And if you understand cause and effect, you can deal with the situation better. But this desire that we have, Z, as you're saying, for getting the right packaging and getting the simple solutions means that we're intellectually limited. It means that we're going in paths that aren't going to serve our interests at all. They're going to set us back because they're going to waste time. They're going to allow us to continue with our bad habits. Usually, they're going to profit someone else. So they'll benefit whoever's selling us some crap solution that doesn't work, whether it's, okay, I can get you a million followers on Instagram, or I can teach you how to make uh, 10,000% returns in crypto, or I can give you a pill for your health. It's all the same thing. It's not understanding cause and effect, or it's being willfully blind to cause and effect. We don't want to investigate how the world actually works. We just want to believe in some magical solution because it feels good, and then we can defer accountability and responsibility. So how does that dynamic work? I mean, we've talked a bit about some of the issues with society more generally shying away from different types of information. But how does it work if I'm in this pattern and I keep on going after the wrong solution and it keeps on doing me no good? And so you take the example of the bad diet and your health just keeps on going down and down, but you think you're okay because you're following trusted medical advice and you're taking the right pills. At what point do you say, okay, this isn't working, I got to do something else? Or how do you cultivate the awareness to say, this is ridiculous, I got to actually figure out what's going on? Well, Vin, when you... Um are at a point in your life where you see that things aren't working, right? They always said the, um, the formula for insanity is trying to do the same thing the same way over and over and getting uh, the same results, hoping you're going to get different results. At some point, you have to acknowledge you're crazy. I think that's a, a good tool for all of us, especially those who are opting out, or those who are just trying to be dispassionate observers. Sometimes you have to look in the mirror and just say, you know, I'm crazy. And once you say that, once you make that confession, it's like an alcoholic saying, you know what, I got an alcohol problem. And, and, and you may find that though your craziness may not be vast and wide array, it can be specific crazy. Many months ago, Caitlin was explaining to me why she had to get one cat. Oh my God. And I said, Caitlin, you're going to be a cat lady because you have a lot of the features of a cat lady. And even though she got a boyfriend, she still had cat lady tendencies. But in that array of Caitlin, which is crazy, she has a few crazy arrays, but this is one of the unique ones. And you could see with, with this kind of determination in her face and such sincerity, she said to me, she looked at me with the stern, crazy eyes, as stern as crazy eyes can look at you. And she said, I will only get one cat, and it's because my roommate... Uh, is leaving and the cat has cat scratch fever and I need to take care of it. That's it. I said, no, Caitlin, you have a lot of cat lady features, a lot of little things you say. Luckily, she has a boyfriend, but of course, he's not, uh, he's really happy to be with her, so he'll put up with a lot of stuff. Uh, if he wasn't that happy, he put up with. Sure enough, she comes in together and, day, and she's, she's been forced to adopt two more cats. One so, more. Now I only whatever, two. whatever is too many. Okay, what, one is too many. So now, with all the grit and determination of a marathon runner, she succumbed to cat scratch fever. Now she has a happy house filled with many cats, 
and say that her loving boyfriend loves the cat, which I also told her, regular heterosexual dudes don't like cats. Not knocking anybody, um, it's just nature. And uh, all power to pet people. And so it's an interesting thing. So what happens is in our certain arrays, we're crazy. We could be perfectly sane in certain areas. And what we have to work on is where we're crazy. We have to be able to look and say, you know what, I'm crazy. I'm doing the same thing over and over. It doesn't work out. It's starting to pull me in. It's starting to draw attention away from the sane arrays. And so for the opt-outs, we're okay with saying, you know, I'm a little crazy in this area. I got issues, right? And then once you have those, you can focus your attention on those and work on those issues, understanding causality. Everything is caused by something. The universe is mythical beyond our comprehension, but there's always cause and effect. Even in our universe, something triggers something. Something started evolution. Something started that. Beyond our comprehension, yeah, that's where you get into the realm of divinity and cosmos that we can't comprehend. But we can, before we get all the way there, we can say something caused this. Um, you can start your day and look at the chain of events. As you and I said, we can watch our partners and know when they're getting ready to get weird. We know it. There are certain things they'll say. There are certain series of events. It's usually, I think in, in, in my case, there's usually three events that I can tell, okay, we're getting ready to go to crazy town. I don't, I don't know how many it is for you, Vin, but for me, it's three. I can, I can do a one, two, three. Those things are happening. Fourth thing is crazy. So all of us who are opting out, we want to have that countdown on ourselves, more importantly. But it's also important to know your kids, your spouses, family members, and people in your inner circle when they're going to lose it. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing that's going to change the course of the day or the week for us. Here's the thing that's going to disrupt harmony. Because causality is dispassionate. You mix certain things together, you get certain other things, right? You want to die in the kitchen, mix some ammonia, some bleach, and some comet together. Get under your sink and start trying to clean stuff. The gas that comes off there will drop you dead. That's the cause and effect. It wasn't random. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't bad luck. It's causality. Uh, go to some of these get-togethers with a bunch of people with compromised health, sneezing, coughing, and hacking. You're going to come back with something. Or you're going to give it to somebody you know. They're going to give it back to you. And here you go. You're going to have a hoarse voice like Z for two or three weeks. By humbling ourselves and always saying, Okay, here are the ingredients of this outcome. Here are the causes to this event. We can then be our own alchemist in terms of the outcomes of situations. Of course, you don't have control over what other people do. But as you see things leading to crazy town, you know how to hand hunker down. That's what I do at home. My wife will say certain two or three things. I say, okay, let's get ready for a bad week, bad two weeks, bad month. Or just let's just write this one off the calendar. And with all of us, when it comes to uh, the, 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 the thing we did, Caitlin, on um, showing up. Showing up is a cause, right? It causes something. 
Whatever you show up for, you become that. Whatever you don't show up for, you become that. And it's, it, it, it is very simple. It's very efficient. But it can be burdensome. Because remember, you can't go by a sentence or a paragraph to get understanding. One benefits from being committed to the whole volume of knowledge on a particular topic of subject. You don't need to know everything, but you need as much information as you can possibly have as you move forward so you know what you're mixing up, right? You want to know all the ingredients of the cake you're making. That's going to determine if it's a good cake, if it's a messed up cake. You know what I'm saying? And so to <clears throat> what I, I often use whiteboards. Caitlin knows that. I'm real big about whiteboards. Why do I like to use whiteboards in my personal life, in life, in, in teaching, and learning? It's because it's like drawing a map to me. If we do this, we'll get to here, right? I put up a fitness whiteboard last year or whatever. If you do these things for this many days, you will be in shape. I think Caitlin did it for about a day or two. But it does work. So, yeah, doing and not doing will lead to something that's done. That's just life. <clears throat> I always think about the kindness of humanity. That's being a little more human with people. Uh, so another one of the good guys, we've had Peace on our podcast, I think. Peace's brother passed away of cancer. It's really sad. Um, young guy, was he 34, 35? Somewhere yeah, he was a young guy. And I've been on his case about reaching out to us to grieve and, and do all that. And every time someone passes away, and I've said this, it reminds me of how little time we have here. And you could live 99 years and you still wish you had another year. There would be, if you lived a good life, people would love you. So I wish you had a little more time. I wish you had a little more time. If you live 99 days, people say, oh, what a tragedy. The baby only made it 99 days. But whoa, that was a hell of a 99 days. We'll remember that for 99 years. That baby will live as long as the last person remembers him alive. So by knowing that and constantly focusing on the transiency of life and not being fooled by it, as the Buddha says, we can really look at what is the brew we're creating. What is the witch's brew we create of our everyday life? Uh, both gross and subtle. On the gross realm, we know now <clears throat> from all the medical reports coming out, colorectal cancer is higher, bones are thinner, testosterone, estrogen levels are whacked out. Nothing looks the same. Some more research came out and they said they were finding more and more men who were androgynous. So their hormone levels had reached a certain level where you would be considered androgyny. Right? So we've done it. We, as Charlton Heston said in the um, Planet of the Apes, they did it. They destroyed everything. They built the bomb with a cobalt casing, right? But he, uh, Charlton Heston, that's my Charlton Heston imitation. And that scene in the movie where he realizes that we really blew it as a people, as a species. We blew it. I would, I would say to that, the optimistic part of me is, as I talk to more and more people who are opting out in our community, like John was telling me about one of the, one of the fellows here is looking for land, rural land. Then I saw an article, there's a movement of people who are city people who are just dropping out. I saw a, 
an article about a young lady who spent $35,000 on a microhome, bought her a little piece of land, and she's happy. Looks like a big Home Depot shit. And it's beautiful inside. And it's just what she needs. She's opted out. She's going to be okay. I was talking to uh, the guy at the, we just got uh, vegetarian food at Beyond Vegan, right? Delicious food. And the man there was telling me that he had started a water business back in the early 90s, or, or let's say the, the teens. And the, it's crazy how fast time goes by. So in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, whatever. And he had been talking to his wealthier friends about a water business. Yeah, water, that's ridiculous. We'll always have water. And now they're coming back to him. Wherever they live, they've cut off the water. And they're bringing in water trucks. So there's no water. But for people who were ready for that, they already had their filtration systems and their catch systems in place. And they've had a, they have enough water to get them through a few days. I'm not saying this from a, a dreaded Armageddon point of view, a survivor, world's going to end any day, which it is. Um, I'm saying it from the point of view of being in a mindset that you are not attached to this reality so that as it dissolves, you're still well. You can still adjust. Your causality is, is a reasonable amount of preparation. Preparation is not about hoarding. It's about resource gathering. Resources are not just things, but they're knowledge. Knowing how to do things. Very important to know how to do things. Right? Because that can mean life, death, suffering, or prosperity. Add causality to that quadrant of the mind. Be okay looking at the array of self and finding in one of those quadrants of that array of the self is crazy town. Know when you're crazy. Know when you're doing something that makes no sense. And then own it. Then you can work with it. If you reject, reject it and try to say that what is nonsensical makes sense, or what's crazy is sane, that's when you have a problem. Own your crazy. Right? And you find that you have much more peace and stewardship of your life. Just own your crazy. And then you can see the cause of that crazy, the energy it takes up. Doing the same thing over and over, nothing changes. And then you can start to study it. What is my attachment to insanity? What is my attachment to my constrained lunacy? Because you're still high functioning, but you got weird stuff you do. Or you're going through stuff. I go through it, you go through it, we all go through it. Not to disclaim my madness. I want to claim it completely. There are things I don't understand about human behavior. And because maybe I'm on some spectrum of, of, of something. And I love math. I love the structure. I love how things work and how to fix things. Humans don't always work like that. We don't always like the fix to what's broken. We often are more comfortable with, with something being broken than the, than, than the methodology of fixing it. 
reminds me when I was on working in the entertainment business, there was a group called Two Live Crew. I mentioned before, uh, one of the rappers in the group had gotten a major accident and his arm was crushed. And because of the symbolism of that arm, he just kept it until it finally rotted off. Right? But he didn't want to be the one-armed guy. He wanted to be the guy with the arm in the sling on a hope and a prayer. Crazy, insane, I get it. I get it. Who wants to be the one-armed guy? So he held on to that arm until it was just a stinking extension of him. A remnant of a past, a life begun. We all have a, a dead appendage hanging off of us in some way. It could be emotionally, right? With causality, you claim it. You own it. When you own it, again, you can govern it. If it's somebody else's or if it's freestyling or if it's free crazy, if it's untethered crazy, it can... If it's untethered crazy, it can control your life and mess your life up. And it does every day. It can rob you of vital energy, vital effort. It can rob you of your resources, your productivity. I've experienced that myself. So try your best to understand causality. When we do that, again, we become the pilot and the captain of our own destiny. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think it's a very inspiring message. And I've thought this way, actually, the way that I've approached life has changed along these lines. Because I feel like a lot of us are just either insecure or afraid. We're afraid of really investigating causality, maybe because we're not going to find an easy solution and that's going to create some internal conflict. Or maybe we find the solution and, oh my God, we're responsible for our own problems. Who the hell wants that? Who wants to admit that all the things that we didn't get in life, all the issues that we have, the health issues, relationship issues, job issues, it's all our fault. Or even if it's not all our fault, there's a lot that we could have done to do things differently. So we hide from it. We hide from it and we take the simple solutions or we blame someone else. And again, that might be a palliative for the ego in the short term, but long term it means that we have no agency. It means that we have no ability to correct course, to do anything better, to change, to evolve. And so if we can shift that mindset, Z, in the way that you're talking about and own our crazy and do that without judging ourselves, do that without any sense of shame, just recognize it is what it is, then we've got a lot more freedom. I mean, we've got the freedom to do whatever the hell we want. I would almost put it a little bit differently or at least provide a, a slightly different analogy, which maybe resonates with some people, where we're both a computer and the computer programmer. Uh, so this goes back to the dispassionate observer philosophy. We're a system, we're a human being that operates in a certain way, but we also have the ability to step back from that and observe ourselves and make changes. So if we're doing things that are crazy, either we can correct for that crazy or we can change the programs, we can change our habits, our routines, and do something a little bit different, or we can bring in other people who can help us compensate. So if we're just not good at doing certain things, you've said this in the past, if you don't know how to get water, you don't know how to change a tire, Make sure you know who people who can do that so that you can still function and get through life. So if we start approaching life that way, which is that 
we're basically a machine. We're this organism, but we can step back, observe the behavior, and we're the designer. Then, at least in my view, it becomes a lot less personal. You know, it's not like oh, we're we're failures or we're defective or oh my God, I'm to blame for all my problems. It becomes more of a puzzle to solve. Let me take a look at what's going on. Let me take a, take a look at the reasons why. The more carefully I observe, the more research that I do, the better understanding I'll have, and the more ability I'll have to take my life in the direction that I want to go, which of course is what we all want to do. And this could be in everyday life. It could be in business. There's this hedge fund manager who's written a lot about how to build systems and build companies. He's done very well for himself. He's also built a pretty unconventional organization. And he's got principles which talk exactly about this point Z, which is if you're in a company, you're in that company, but you're also the architect of the company. So you're one of the roles and you can fire yourself. He says this explicitly, like if you're in a role and you're not delivering on that role, then fire yourself and bring in someone else who can do it. Because ultimately you care about the health of the overall system. You care about the outcomes. You don't care necessarily about the ego saying, yeah, I got to be the best at doing the math part of what we need to do, or I got to be the best salesperson, or I got to be the best whatever. What you have to do is design the company or uh, the operations in a way that lead to a desired outcome. Uh, but to do that, it gets back to a lot of what we talk about regularly on this podcast. I think it requires putting the ego aside, number one. Uh, number two, it requires a certain humility because we have to be able to say, we don't have all the answers. We're going to investigate. Uh, you need courage. I mean, you need to get past that fear of actually examining a situation. Uh, a lot of times we hide from things because we know they're bad. We don't want to see how bad they are. But once you look at how bad they are, maybe once the shock wears off, you're like, okay, I feel better about it. Even if the prognosis is bad, at least I know what it is. Now I can take some action. Uh, now I can move forward instead of just stagnating and hiding from it, which is terrible uh, because not only are we not fixing the problem, but we're in this state of angst. I mean, we're feeling anxiety. We're feeling fear. And that's no way to live. We want to live in a way which clears out the problems so that we've got a, a clear mind and we can move forward with integrity. We can experience life to the fullest, as you're saying, in that short amount of time that we have. So those are just some thoughts. I mean, I think what you're saying, I, I like that phrase, own your craziness, uh, but I also feel like it, it fits very well into this dispassionate observer idea that we have to be able to step back from ourselves and program ourselves in a way that is going to be most beneficial to us. Uh, so we're, we're, again, both that computer and also the system designer. Right. And I think, too, there are like little words, you, certain words you said that, that uh, understand the alchemy of narrative is going to be very important for all of us. It's very beneficial. I found it extremely beneficial for, for me. So if, in the study of, of the classical text, when they talk about shame, they ask, what is shame? Shame is withdrawing from the truth of yourself. Isn't that interesting? Shame is withdrawing from the truth of yourself. If you take a moment to go deeper into that, that's a very powerful statement because what are most people ashamed and embarrassed for? Is that they got caught doing something that they didn't represent themselves as being someone who did that thing. What if people were just straight up with whatever they're into, whatever weirdness they indulge in, they wouldn't be ashamed. They, it might be illegal, but they won't be ashamed because it won't fire up the, the ego matrix of these people so that suddenly they feel 
as if they were fraudsters. So they were running around bragging about the virtues of vegan eating, and you catch them at uh, uh, Mama Julio's uh, barbecue shack or something, right? And they give you a startled look, which I, I've seen people do. I've actually walked down the street and encountered somebody who's raving and raving about plant-based foods, and then they're, they're stumbling out of uh, some sort of ham hock shop or something. And what made it shameful? Well, they represented themselves a different way. I was going down a rabbit hole earlier looking for this man by the name of Vaughn Booker. Um, and and I, I shared the story with you earlier. I'll share it with our audience. Um, uh, in another lifetime, many, many, many years ago in a place far, far away, I was a hardware engineer, mainframe engineer. And I was uh, called to service uh, mainframe or some sort of uh, computer equipment at one of the largest uh, I believe it was Episcopalian churches in the nation, which was in Arlington, Virginia. And I, for those who know me, you know I'm 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 really really not big on organized religions. I, I find them to be the source of most of human suffering. I have met very few people that proselytized religions that lived up to those religions. <clears throat> I found that wherever I've gone, where people tend to be very religious. They tend to be very hateful and, and, and just ugly all around. I do love scripture. I do love philosophy and ideologies. I, I believe that there is some areas of, of divinity and the cosmos that are beyond human interpretation or comprehension. With that being said, <clears throat> I don't like religious people. <clears throat> I don't like churches, synagogues, mosques, none of that stuff because of the representatives are often such horrific people. So <clears throat> I'm in this place. I go to this church. And I, the guy lets me in, the priest. He lets me in and say, I'm here to do service. Oh, thank you, here. And he's very kind, um, courteous. I'm doing my work. He comes and checks on me every now and then. And I'm creeped out being in the church, for one, and all the religious symbols and all that stuff. And I'm just thinking... You know, Satan will manifest any minute and Armageddon will start. And I'll be right in the middle of all that crap, which I don't want to be a part of. And there's something I notice about the man. He has an aura around him. And as I told Caitlin and Tony, it's almost like you hear mantras or chanting or harps whenever he walks around. Just like in some kind of weird spiritual movie. Ooh, um, Wherever he walked, and he wasn't trying to project anything, he had on his Friar Tuck outfit, but he was a kind of a religious dude that they could get married, priest, but they could get married in this particular type of, of, of religion. And he has just an angelic presence. He brings me a glass of water. And I'm like, my God, there's something about this man that it, it, it feels so enlightening and so enriching, so spiritual. So after I finished my job and we're filling out the invoices, I say, hey, bro, can I ask you a question? He says, yes, friend. And even when he said, yes, friend, it sounded like he meant it. Like, dude, I don't know you. This is weird. And I said, how the fuck? Did you get into the religious business? 
you're a decent human being. That's what I said to him. I said, just like that. I said, how the? After you get into the religious business, you're such a kind and decent man. And he gives me this really warm, humble smile. And, says, that's, and he giggles and says, that's funny. I've been asked that a number of times, but not in the exact way that you said it. And he went on to tell me a story. He said, I killed my wife. I said, okay, I'm waiting. Is that a metaphor for killing the Buddha on the road or killing the ego? What do you mean? Uh, killing envy? He said, no, nah, I killed my wife. I said, what? He said, yeah, I was a young man. I was, a, I was an archer. I was a, as an athlete. And I had a chance to go to the Olympics. I guess maybe 64 Olympics, 60, who knows? A long time ago. And he says, but my girlfriend, uh, uh, she came to me and told me she was pregnant. So I gave up all my hopes and dreams and knuckled down and got a bunch of low-paying jobs, three low-paying jobs, had three jobs and to, to give her a good lifestyle and to take care of our child. We had the baby. I worked hard. The marriage was uh, horrible, as young marriages are. And it was nothing like what I thought, but I felt very responsible for having burdened this young woman with motherhood uh, and not really thinking about it and everything. And so I, I did what I thought was right. He said one day he was coming home between jobs. He said he would come home, get a snack, shower up, sometimes even take a short nap before he went back to work. And he said a man was leaving his house. And as the man was leaving his house, he asked the woman, well, who's that guy? And she said, well, that's your baby's father, you idiot. You didn't know? I, you're not the dad of this baby, uh, but you're the dumbest guy I met who would just not ask questions and take care of me. And she began to harangue him and say all kinds of things. So he, would, he said as a meditation, he would go out and shoot uh, targets with his bow and arrow set. And he couldn't take anymore. He snapped. He turned around and unloaded his quill of arrows into this woman. Even shot her on the mattress. Apparently he had to take her out on the mattress because they couldn't get her off the mattress. And he called the police and he confessed to the crime and turned him over to the corrections, to prison system. After some time in prison, he had such a stellar personality, such a kind-hearted man that exuded, exuded humanity. I mean, the guy, he's dead now, I found out. I just found out looking for him. He died a few years back. But if you were ever in his presence, you felt you were in the presence of a holy man. That's the only way to describe it. Truly, whatever you think is a divine being. He was that thing. So they went through all sorts of prison stuff and they kicked him out of jail. And he went on and became a priest, went back to theology school or wherever they go. And he became the head of one of the largest churches in Arlington, Virginia, predominantly white congregation. He said the first day he went there and stood up on the pulpit and introduced himself to everybody, he told them the same story he told me. And the church went from having uh, a full membership of hundreds of parishioners to, to, to just a handful after he told the truth of himself. After some time, the church went on and improved, and he got a big following, became very popular. And he was truly a divine man. So I went down a rabbit hole, because I'm telling Caitlin and Tony about it, and I couldn't remember his name. I couldn't remember his name, but I remember him, I remember the newspaper article, and I kind of remember the area of the country that his church was in, in Arlington, Virginia, and I kind of remember the sect of Christianity. 
because I know he wore a brown friar tuck type outfit and, uh, and he wasn't trying to sell you anything. So I went looking, I went on the internet rabbit hole, there's nothing on him, but what I did find, I finally did find him, by the way, but it took hours. But now I type in priest, clergyman, murdered his wife, right? I'm trying, that should be easy enough. No, it wasn't. Huh, Caitlin? Good God. It took you like 45 minutes. In the 40 years since I met that guy, 40 years ago. His crime is not even a relevant crime. It's like a parking ticket. They had priests who were necromancers. Do you know what that is, Vin? A necromancer? Yeah, I can. Well, I can imagine what it is. Oh my God! It sounds pretty disgusting. I had that. Then there was a guy running uh, child porn rings. Murdered many wives. Murdered many nuns. All. I mean, this guy was under. At the time, what he did was a big deal. Fast forward 40 years, it didn't even make the headlines. It didn't even make page 50. I, I think I had to go through 50 or 60 pages. Then finally I found out he wrote a book that's on Amazon about it. But of course the book doesn't sell because it's not even considered a crime anymore what he did compared to what other priests and religious people are doing. And it goes to show you give something enough time and the most egregious and shameful acts will become normal. Your idea is own what you do. Own yourself. Because we have people now in our culture who the causality of their egregious behavior has made them wealthy, made them household names. I would say to, to the average us, the average one of us, is use these tools, own yourself, understand causality. You're, you're out of shape, you have health issues. While you're addressing them, study the causality. You're having domestic issues, family problems. Look at the causality. What, what started it, right? You got something going on in your life, you find yourself in a hole. As you're digging yourself out, got to dig yourself out, you got to be in the now. Understand causality so you never do it again, so you're not becoming insane and repeating over and over and over and over and over what you're doing. Own your crazy. Don't run around and say, I'm not crazy. Every crazy person says they're not crazy. That means every sane person says, yeah, I'm a little crazy. I'm not going to say I'm a little crazy, but in this array, I'm crazy. So it might be little to me, might be a big deal to you, Okay. So it's all relative. It's all in response or reaction to. Own your crazy. Understand causality. And withdraw from doing anything that you are not okay with people finding out you're doing. Life's easier. Yeah, I think that's right, Z. It's uh, funny. I had this conversation with my daughter yesterday about owning yourself. That you got to own yourself. You got to stand by what you do. You got to like yourself. And if you don't like yourself, change yourself. But again, it's all on you. You got to be the one to do that. You have to be the one to set the standards. Because if you start looking for other people to tell you you're okay, it's not going to work. It's going to lead to insecurity. It's going to haul you out. Similar to the conversation we had before we even started this podcast. So maybe we end there. 
own yourself, investigate, be that dispassionate controller. And as long as you can do that, if you do have a problem, you can fix yourself. If not, then ignore what everyone else says and just live the way you want to live. There you go. Knock it out the box, bro. All right. That's a wrap. Good deal, Z. Good conversation. Good conversation. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.